You ever think about how Dale Earnhardt like probably pulled? I think <laughs> yes. to have the comp. I mean, like, yes, he he Dale L. Earnhardt self evidently pulls right. But I, I was just thinking about like twenty year Dale, twenty year old Dale Earnhardt. What a what a cornucopia of sinful delights his life must have been. This is Chapel Bell Curve. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we are talking about our favorite fake Chapel Bell Curve holiday of the year. It is, of course, you know it. It's the time of the year where old Humphrey Mizzou comes back around. You know the guy. The one that we named the the whole damn university after, or the state. I'm not sure which it is. Uh, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, we'll get into it in just a moment. But what what the hell are we going to be doing today, Nathan? Well, today, if this is your first time reading Chapel Bell Curve, the comic book, reading uh, and <laughs> podcast extravaganza, podcast multi-platform media conglomerate. Converging media yeah. piece. So the way we do our previews is we'll do a quantitative preview and a qualitative preview. We're going to start with our qualitative preview where we talk about our feelings and the mythos of Humphrey Mizzou and mm. hopefully explain for those of you who didn't listen to this last year what the hell we're talking about. Then we will do a quantitative preview where we talk about stats and numbers and we give you a sort of hard and down and dirty, that sounded inappropriate, I apologize, introduction to Missouri football this year and then make some (laughs) predictions. We'll also be talking about some games of note around the country and around the SEC and making at least some, giving our thoughts on those if we, even if we don't make predictions then we will be done yeah. and your life will go back to the quotidian mundanity that you face anytime that I'm not in it. But until then, you know, go dogs. Uh, don't grab on <laughs> the these, outro. <laughs> don't, don't grab onto these gossamer threads of hope. Just let them exist next to you as a butterfly would alight on your hand and, and be in awe of the synchronicity of this, the, and the fragility of your own happiness because you have exposure to me anyway. So, <laughs> Nathan, before before we really get into things, will you give give the folks say say that old Humphrey Mizzou uh, phrase that we say around the holidays together? Just give them give them a little bit of razzle dazzle. What what is what is it that Humphrey says to everybody right before the holiday comes around? Well, so as all of you know, and I and I know that as Mizzoumis is a widespread and uh, I would say mainline Protestant religious holiday, just like. You know, you probably have tucked your kids in on Mizumis Eve, just like every, just like we all have, and and left your two partially uh, drank natty lights out for old Humphrey Mizzou, and mm-hmm. you know, put put down a scoop of melted butter pecan ice cream soup just for him, and just so a whole I bunch of wounded soldiers. Yeah, because of all of that, I know I don't have to tell you about Mizumis, but the mythos is is that Humphrey Mizzou comes to your you hear the the patter of his giant feline feet across the top of your <laughs> dwelling every day on or every year on Mizumis Eve and then you know he comes down your chimney and he takes 2 to 3000 dollars worth of possessions at out of your house and he leaves a contract for an overpaid Big 12 coach and then you hear the cry as he leaves I wish I was still in the Big 12 why am I in the SEC <laughs> East anyway we should probably explain this before we continue this bit anymore. Nah. You just got to go back and listen to the Mizzou episode last So, okay, year. no, I'm not going to make you do <laughs> no, that. No, I'm just kidding. We won't La- do that. No. <laughs> last year, I asked why they ca- everyone refers to Missouri as Mizzou. And before he gave me the real reason, which I don't even remember anymore, Mm-mm. Justin over it's there. Ju- yeah, just, just over there just straight-faced said, oh, well, it's because Missouri was founded by a man named Humphrey Mizzou. And for reasons that I can't explain and will attribute probably to stress, I just believed him for like five minutes. <laughs> and thus the mythos and of Humphrey And I just Humphrey kept Mizzou. going until you didn't believe me the anymore. Hum- the Humphrey uh, Mizzou cosmology was born. Yeah. So before Friday night, just make sure you leave, like Nathan said, uh, a round of your favorite 24-pack beer suitcase of yeah. half drink and beer and yeah. a toasted ravioli under your pillow so that yeah. Humphrey Mizzou will, will pass over your house. 
in all in all seriousness, Columbia, Missouri is a great town, and mm-hmm. they have a very famous uh, pizza place there, Shakespeare's Pizza, which is very good. And and everyone there, when I went there, I've only been there once, but everyone there was so nice. They were so polite. It was just and and when they've come here, it's been been a, a great experience. So I have nothing bad to say about Missouri. Mm-hmm. I do think it's sort of funny that Columbia, Missouri's, and there, there are a lot more good restaurants than just Shakespeare's, but Columbia, Missouri's like sort of keystone claim to fame restaurant wise is just a good pizza place. It's a pretty good pizza place. Yeah, and and it's it's very good pizza, but it's not like you know that old Missouri treat we all think of good pizza, <laughs> the center <laughs> of cuisine and culture in in Columbia, Missouri, mm-hmm. well made pizza. Damn, that's a good pizza. Yeah, that's the first thing you think not of. Not even you think a specific of kind. Do you want to? Actually... You know, no. Go ahead. <laughs> Can we talk? Let's talk a little bit. You have some really fun notes. I would say about. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, Mizzou itself and any of these strange traditions? I mean, other than pizza, at least they have that song by Shakira and Wyclef Jean where he, he, he asks her to move her hips, you know, like she comes from Columbia. So at least there's that. But I know there's some other traditions here you kind of have laid out um, yeah. that you might want to share. Toasted ravioli is good, by the way. All right. So Mizzou was founded in 1839. <laughs> uh, I think that this relationship is toxic because we are 10 and 1 against Mizzou. And we are we started classes in 1810, which means that we are 29 years Mizzou's elder, which I think is like a pretty hardcore age gap for two institutions who be t- to be tussling like this. Uh, in 1892, the academic hall, which at the time was like the entire university other than a couple of small dorms, burnt down in, I will say, spectacular fashion. And I don't want to make fun of it. I'm not sure if anyone died. Uh, but it did. It burnt down like crazy. The The sort of grim irony of it is that the most accepted theory of why it burnt down was that the academic, the main academic hall, the University of Missouri, also had the first installation of a light bulb installed west oh of the Mississippi. And apparently the common theory is that it's short, it short circuited and burnt down the building because this was, of course, when every building was a horrible death trap. The um, the only thing that remained were the six ionic columns, which today are the center of the quadrangle that the campus is sort of situated around. It's like I would say sort of like their north campus ish area of their college is the only thing I can think to compare it to for UGA. It's It's very pretty if you've never been there. It's sort of. It looks like a memorial to, like, the way it is situated, it sort of looks like, oh, these ionic columns are from, like, Greece. And there was, like, an ancient (laughs) crypto-Grecians were here, and they settled a a colony on America. And instead of settling, you know, on a coast or something, they just went to the dead center of America and made it a Greek temple. And this is all that's left. Let's see. They have a big Block M at their field. The SB Nation blog for Missouri is called Block M Nation. Great guys. That's where Bill Connolly came from. But what I didn't know, there were two things that I found out about their Block M. It's this big M, and it's a, it's in one of the end zones, and it's made of like just basically white painted white rocks, right? That have been rocks, big rocks that have been whitewashed. <laughs> and apparently, upon graduating, every senior after their last game, uh, every Mizzou football senior takes one of the rocks as like a keepsake or whatever which i think is cool the part that's funny is that apparently one of their like freshman class traditions is that they whitewash it before the first game each year which Mm -hmm. is just the most tom's that is the most tom sawyer ass hazing i can think of it's like (laughs) they put a they put a blueberry pie on the on you know up in the stands and then tom sawyer tries well the freshmen try to get it and they make them all wear cane hats and and they say you better not go down to the river tom I mean, freshman? I don't know. It's just like a very Missouri thing. I, I don't even know what a Missouri thing is, but I'm, I, I guess making your freshman act like Tom Sawyer is part of it. Let's see. I I also know that, oh, this is another bit of trivia, which is that Mizzou's marching band, which is quite good, is actually directed by a UGA alum. Really? Yeah. She was That's actually cool. uh, She was actually a TA when I was in... Uh, college okay and you know her name is amy knops if you don't know but knops she's she's a very cool person and a very very good band instructor also missouri's marching band pretty good uniforms you don't hear me say that a lot like the there are some really bad uniforms in the college marching band (laughs) world 
and I'm not going to say who because I don't want to get fired from my job. And also that's not, you know, constructive or helpful to the, sure, to the, you know, world or whatever. But I actually like Missouri's marching band uniforms. They're pretty cool. Uh, they're, they're, okay. they look very modern without looking like a bad BOA uniform. I, I personally think. One of the things that I know about Bazoo is it was one of the places that um, a while ago, a few years ago, I was looking at what grad programs I might end up going to. And um, Missouri, University of Missouri, it has a fantastic journalism program, like yes. one of the best journalism programs in the country. Yes, well um, known. And very, very good, uh, like tons of Pulitzer Prize winners. Uh, they have a lot of really well-known actors. Like they have a really great theater program. Um, just tucked away in the middle of Missouri, you know, oddly enough. Yeah, I mean, it, it's better than a Northwestern grad, it. I guess. Uh, that's actually better still, but that's a different conversation because we don't play Northwestern. Yeah. <laughs> At least there's that. So uh, what other stuff's going on? You got some updates on, on yeah, our guys, we got our some fellows? New, new stuff. Uh, so apparently we, we talked on our episode on Monday about how Kenny McIntosh came out of the game against Kent State with a thigh contusion, a thigh bruise. And apparently, you know, he got hit in that thigh bruise and he came off, but apparently feels like he'll be fine. The direct quote is he was fine after the game. This is from Kirby Smart yesterday, or I guess that's relative. Uh, what would be Monday this week for you? He was fine yesterday. Mm -hmm. We might limit him some today, but I feel good about Kenny being able to go. I don't. Kirby Smart sometimes says when he says like, oh, we're hopeful that he'll go. They're not going to play. But if he says yeah. we think they'll go, I think he'll probably play. I think we could probably beat Missouri without them. Actually, their defense is like their defense is fine. They're offense fine, is real yeah. bad. Yeah, their defense has some bright spots and are and I don't know has some things they do well. They're pretty good against the run, but their offense is dog doo doo mm -hmm. bad. So having <laughs> McIntosh would definitely help because they have a pretty stout run defense, but also a, I think he'll go and B, I think if he doesn't, we'll still be fine. Uh, like you wrote down here, Mizzou is coming off of a heartbreaking loss in overtime to Auburn. One of the weirdest mm -hmm. games I've ever seen. Mizzou at the end of regulation has a deep bomb that brings them down to like within the five, I think in, in the red zone at least. And, basically plays for the field goal and then misses it. Now, mm -hmm. on the one hand, I get it. They missed the field goal, and it was it was a miss from a kicker who's very good, who's like a legitimate NFL prospect, and who was missed, who missed basically like a point after. It was a 26-yard field goal, yeah. yeah. But on the other hand, I don't get it because they sort of just, like I think they had time to spike it and run a play for the end zone or at least call a little bit more of aggressive of a play to at least try. So they end up going to overtime. It is, I think they have the chance to win and they're running the ball in for what would be the winning touchdown. And the guy, the guy like holds the ball down to try to get past the pylon. The runner does, and it gets knocked out of his hand and it goes out the back of the end zone for a touchback. And then they lose the game. So not just heartbreaking, but also just sort of like just absolutely like, what are you baby what are you doing yeah if you look up that final play it's it's pretty rough and i'm not a mizzou fan uh you know we, we could talk about this more in the quantitative preview part of this but eli drinkwitz has to at least be playing for his job at this point yeah i i, I think or coaching for it his seems job. that way in the last he got there i believe two years ago if i'm not mistaken let me just double check that this is the case. Yeah. So he got there in 2020. He was five and five in the COVID year. He went to the Music City Bowl and won. He was third in the East. In 2021, he was six and seven, three and five in the SEC. And then he lost the Armed Forces Bowl. And so far, he's two and two. I I mean, look, man, Mizzou had one really good year when they joined the conference and hasn't been super relevant since then. On the one hand, I think it just depends on what the expectations are, but I got to think like going into a few uh, a year or two before expansion and a year or two before a new TV contract that is going to literally net the school hundreds of millions of dollars. I just don't know that 25 and 15 or no, 13 and 14 at Missouri and 8 and 11 the SEC is going to do it. Right? Yeah. He this ain't it, bub. Yeah, I mean, he's a I think he's a good coach generally but if you look at their last few recruiting classes like it just 
hasn't been great. And so I'm not, I, I have, I think offensively, he does some pretty interesting stuff. He comes from the App State tree. He was the App State coach that I believe followed Scott Satterfield. He was only the coach mm-hmm. there for one year in 2019, but he did go to the Sunbelt, uh, or I think he won the Sunbelt. So I, I mean, on the one hand, like cool, <laughs> but on the other hand, mm-hmm. like I don't know that he, I don't know that he's getting it done, even though I do like him. Currently, there, currently Missouri is dead last in the SEC in recruiting. That's, that's not rough. good. That that's yeah. they're fifty third overall. Their composite rank is fifty eighth. They are they currently have eleven commits. Two, uh, let's see, four four stars. Pretty small class so far. I mean, I I don't know, man. I, I'm. I think Missouri they need is better pizza. Yeah, they need. Well, yeah, they need. It's the, the pizza. They need better pizza. <laughs> In 2022, their 2022 class, they were 18th overall, which is decent. 16th composite rank. Uh, let's see. 2021, his second year there, they were 30th overall. And 2020, which was the COVID year, so you know you can't really bring it, blame them, was 49th overall. Mm-hmm. So. I it's on the one hand, I actually think Drinkwitz is a pretty good coach, and I really like his demeanor, and I like a football coach that doesn't have, I don't know, football dumb football coach energy. You know, I tend to be biased towards that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, like, he seems like a pretty well-spoken guy and who doesn't put himself out there as a, like, big, yelly coach. He's you not know? a jackass. Yeah, yeah. He, isn't, he isn't a jackass, so far as I can tell. Currently, they mm-hmm. are 31st in team talent composite uh, overall for 2022, which puts them behind Mississippi State, Kentucky, Arkansas, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Tennessee, Auburn, Florida, LSU, us, and Alabama. So <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is a game I think we're going to win, uh, and not to spoil yeah. my prediction or anything, but I do think that it is an interesting from an outsider's the sort of narrative that I'm interested in coming into this from an outsider's perspective mm-hmm. is that I think that Missouri is kind of at a crossroads, you know, being a second tier football team in the SEC is a pretty good life and will continue to be a pretty good life as the SEC has more money come in. But also I mm-hmm. think that comes with increased pressure. Missouri has basically won the lottery ticket to be in one of the big two. If we ever go to super conferences, right? They are, yeah, they are where they want to be. And so I think they're kind of running into something where it's like, okay, now what? Like you you, you did what every football program in the nation or really athletic department in the nation wants to do. You got into one of these high-level, multi-billion dollar TV contract conferences. But what does that all mean if you're going to go six and six every year? And is that enough? Yeah, Maybe it is. I don't know. So that's, I mean, are there any any narratives that interest you? Maybe some that are more focused on UGA, or is there anything in general? I know, that you know, based on our last about? episode, we, we talked a little bit about the last game and and how it really, it doesn't necessarily matter. Um, there's a lot more going on schematically that, that you know, um, the average football watcher may have seen. But I think that that's probably going to be a narrative going into this, and that's something mm-hmm. we'll probably hear announcers talk about. But I before we you know not to show my whole hand, but I I expect this game to look very similar to the Oregon game as far as you know the the final outcome goes, and we can we can talk about why we think that going into stats. Yeah, I think I think that is you know you, you kind of referenced the schematic things, and I went back on SEC Plus because I'm a degenerate, and I watched uh, <laughs> I watched a good chunk of the Akron game, and I came away mm-hmm. thinking that. And this is a take that I've seen in other places, but I've came away thinking that Georgia did treat this kind of like a scrimmage. We were pe- we were playing yeah. third team defensive players in the second quarter, and a lot of those third team players were who gave up the big plays. Now, I think that you know obviously that that helps you build depth, but it doesn't look good. But I do think that the, the reports of this team's death have probably been exaggerated on Twitter. You always have to remember the number one thing you should always think when you read something on Twitter is Twitter is not real life. Twitter is not real life. Twitter is not real life. Right? So yeah. I am I am hopeful. Well, not hopeful, but I expect to also see something that looks more like Oregon in this game. We intentionally in the red zone, call. I don't want to say called stupidly. I think we called plays that we 
weren't was familiar with just to get them to get used to them or things that we want that the coaches want to rep that we haven't been good at. Uh, and I think that probably explains some of the problems. We have had a hard time running up the middle this year. And if you look at us mm-hmm. against South Carolina and Oregon, we basically didn't. Right. And it's, I think, yep. I think I saw Graham uh, Coffee talk about this. Uh, but I, I think it is worth pointing out that the two games that we've had red zone issues in were the two games that essentially we always knew we were going to win. So mm-hmm. I think it's safe to say that what we saw on Saturday was maybe not the fully. This wasn't even our final form, and I, so I totally agree with that. The other no. thing I kind of am interested in seeing is just well, you have a note here that Arian Smith and A.D. Mitchell are both probable. That always, or was it hopeful? What what was the exact language? Hopeful. hopeful. Yeah, hopeful. That always, uh, you know, you never know what that means with Kirby. <laughs> they might not go. They might not dress. Who knows? But if they are... If they do play, it'll be interesting to see how that changes this offense because mm-hmm. we haven't really seen an offense that has a healthy A.D. Mitchell and an Arian Smith and Brock Bowers and all of these weapons. And yes, that might take some snaps away from a guy like uh, McConkey, who despite having a pretty bad game, I think is an ama- a really good player. But I still think mm-hmm. Arian Smith gives you something that McConkey doesn't, which is just the ability to run past a guy. And yeah, Makaki is plenty plenty fast, but he's also like short area quick. But uh, my my boy Arian is like a, a a real actual track star, right? So yeah, I, I'm I'm interested to see what that looks like. I'm also interested to see what this defense looks like. I don't think that we. I'm not worried about the defense, but I did see like. You know, Christopher Smith took maybe a bad angle. I don't know actually it, mm-hmm. what the problem was on the long touchdown on the screen, whether it was because I think it was Lassiter or Javon Bullard on that side who was being engaged by the wide receiver uh, who was blocking him down, and then the guy just kind of ran past him for a touchdown. So I don't know whose fault that was, but to me that seems like a fixable thing, you know, just like mm-hmm. defeating blocks better, doing a little bit better in pursuit and angles, things that I don't really fully understand. But – even from my admittedly schematic layman's eye, there were some times when, you know, like Smile Munda just like ran past a play because he's so fast. Or he, yeah. or Javon, yeah. Javon Bullard, I don't know who was supposed to be in the gap, but there were a couple of times when Javon Bullard went to one gap and then the running back went through the other gap for an easy 10-yard gain. Now, I don't know. I don't know enough about this defense to know if that's where he was supposed to be, but it just seemed like there was kind of some sloppy effort. And so I, I would like to see that if it is true that Kirby was being intentionally conservative and kind of using last week as a scrimmage, you would like to see both the offense, but I think especially the defense to come out and just really shut down a very bad Mizzou offense. Mm-hmm. That I think brings us. Yeah. Let's, we'll that brings us to our quantitative segment. Let's talk about numbers. Who, who is the tiger? Who is Humphrey? Who is the team formerly known as Humphrey Mizzou? So yeah, what well, that's a good way to start our quantitative review. So <laughs> they are out. coming into last week. They were 81st in CBCR two. They're they're about three point nine points below the average team before their loss to Auburn. I can't imagine that that will change much after that loss, where they looked pretty pedestrian on offense the whole time and played some decent defense against a team that basically can't throw. Uh, with Robbie Ashford, that is. So they might as well not. Yeah. Yeah. So they are led on offense by Brady Cook. He's 69 of 100 uh, of 109 for which is for a 63% completion percentage. He has four TDs and four interceptions over four games. Nathaniel Pete at RB is their leading rusher. Dominique Lovett at wide receiver is their leading pass catcher. Their defense is above average ish led by Tyron Hopper. Um, Pretty well above average. Yeah. Yeah, their offense, however, is doo-doo. Bad. It is bad, yeah. Hot, they run, hot tend- garbage. Tendency-wise, they run about 54% of the time. And honestly, they should be running like the, the wing tee. They should be running like the like traditional A-back, B-back, Paul Johnson triple option at this point. Because yeah. they have negative 31 total EPA when passing, wow. which is 125th in the nation. And negative 0.35 EPA per play, which is 122nd. They they make themselves worse when they pass. They are serviceable. So much worse. Yeah, much worse. 
They are serviceable when they run the ball, the 14.37 total EPA, which is good for 35th in the nation, and point win three EPA per play, which is 31st in the nation. Now, the problem with that is, of course, when you have an above average but not great defense, you will often be forced to score through the air, which they are not good at. Cannot. <laughs> they are... We had them at we had them 49th in offensive CBCR2 coming in last week, but I actually think that might be too high. They're 105th in offensive EPA. They're 87th in offensive success rate, 114th in explosiveness, 117th in stuff rate surrendered, 11th in offensive line yards, which is okay. 122nd in offensive havoc allowed, 114th in offensive pass EPA, and 81st in offensive points per opportunity. Those are bad numbers. Those are not good numbers. I don't even have to explain what those numbers mean. If anything, I would say that it to me it looks like what really throws them off is their pass pro. When you have a low explosiveness and a high havoc rate allowed, that is probably because you are either throwing getting the ball picked off or you are getting sacked a lot and getting flushed. Yeah. Their defense is relatively competent per EPA and they're better against the run than they are against the pass. It will be interesting to see UGA's defense or offensive run game, which we'll call a work in progress, especially compared to the passing game against this team. We had them in 89th in defensive CBCR2 coming into this week. I actually think I might have gotten those reversed because there's no way they're 49. Like there's no way that they're 49th in, de- in defensive. That's got, that's got to be. Yeah, well, anyway, that's what we still have, but I, I think that's wrong. Anyway, their mm-hmm. defense has been above average. They are negative seven in line yards allowed, or sorry, seventh in the nation in line yards allowed. They are thirty eighth in de- defensive rush EPA. They defend the they defend the run well, especially within the first three or four yards of the line of scrimmage. They are led by an inside linebacker, which most defenses are. However, the fact that they allow a low line yards number probably tells you that he is pretty good at fitting gaps. Defensively, they also are, I would say, relatively deep at defensive line. Relative being the the important word. This is a team on the year that is averaging, let's see, 0.08 EPA per play total, which is about good for 59th in the the country. Their net yards per play is negative 0.04, which is 89th in the country. For just for the record, to have a chance to win the national championship, your net yards per play, which is your offensive yards gained per play minus your defensive yards surrendered, needs to be around two. Right now, UGA's is 2.61, good for 13th in the nation. Their average yards percentage rate, which is basically, or sorry, their total yards uh, gained rate, which is basically how many yards they've gained available. Right, so if you if the ball starts at the twenty five, you have seventy five yards available on that yard, on that drive. Right, so basically, hold on, let's stop. Give me a click. I got to restart. I got. This is a hard thing to un- to describe, but it's important. Whew. Okay, their net available yards rate is 06 percent, good for eighty seventh in the nation, and that is actually a really interesting stat that I like to keep track of. Available yards is the idea of how many yards did you gain that you had available? So if you had a 75-yard drive, right, and you, and the ball started at the 25 offensively and you went 75 yards for a touchdown, you gained 100% of the available yards on that drive. If you if the ball started on the 50 and you gained 25 yards and then kicked a field goal, you gained 50% of those yards, right? You take those numbers for the whole game and that is your available yards rate. Now, net available yards is... How many of your available yards you gained versus how many available yards you prevented people from gaining, right? So, for instance, UGA is plus 38.5, good for sixth in the nation. So that means they gained 38.5% more available yards than they surrendered, right? Their offense is doing well. Their defense is doing well. Missouri is only 0.6, good for 87th in the nation. I think a lot of that is because their defense is okay, but in terms of available yard gains gained, they are awful, right? They are nine. They have a let's see, success rate, uh, net success rate of nine point nine percent, good for twenty fourth in the nation, because they surrender a very good success rate on defense. Well, not very good, but above average success rate on defense, and are pr- are okay but not great on offense, right? This is not a team that is going to stretch you down the field. 
This is not a team that has the offensive line to match up and pass protection against anybody for more than two or three seconds, right? This is a team, honestly, that UGA should take to the woodshed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, this is the thing, too. Like, looking at these numbers and looking back on the teams we've already played, I will say that defensively speaking, this is by the stats the best team we've played defensively so far. Um, at least when actually uh, across the board, both passing and against the run. And so is this going to be one of those interesting games where we kind of have to like chip away in the first half and in the second half we really come away because they're, you know, they're going to get behind and they're only really good at rushing and our rushing defense is pretty fantastic. Like what sort of, what do you think this game looks like in practice? I, I think this is a game where, you have seen Smart and Munkin, especially offensively, pick their spots to pre- basically treat games as scrimmages. If you subscribe mm-hmm. to the theory proposed by Graham Coffey, which I do, that basically Kent State was ugly because UGA was treating it as a scrimmage and trying to work on stuff that they were bad at, then I think that this game will be a very different picture. Because even though this is a team that is not great, This is still an SEC conference foe with legitimate SEC talent, right? They are in the 30s, uh, like I said earlier, of the 24-7 sports composite. They are certainly a worse team than Oregon, and there may be a worse team than South Carolina, although I'm not totally sure on that. South Carolina looked pretty bad against Mm us. This is still one of the worst Missouri teams that we've seen in the past few years, but it is an SEC Mm -hmm. East opponent. I do not think that Kirby has any incentive in terms of personal connection or just where his team is or what he wants his team to do this year for taking the foot off the gas. I think we will once again see UGA do what it knows how to do. I think this team will probably come in locked down. If I didn't think that after that performance on Saturday, I definitely think that there are going to be some people, well, going to be, it is currently Monday afternoon and I will guarantee you there are or Monday evening rather there already have been people get their asses torn up about what happened against Kent State. And you oh, noticed yeah. that in the post-game press conference, Kirby was kind of chipper. And I think that that is kind, not to be too armchair psychologist here, but I think that is probably because he was so like happy that he had such a learning opportunity on his hands. I think mm-hmm. he, he sees himself as a teacher, and I think in many ways he is. And sometimes as a teacher you have to drop the hammer and you need almost like an excuse to drop the hammer. And I have no doubt that that is what is going to happen at practice and already has so far. So I, I don't, I don't think this game's close. We have uh, Vegas has UGA minus 28. Sam has UGA winning by 31.6 points. The actual expected outcome on Sam is UGA a lot, Missouri a little. Now let me be more specific than that. (laughs) The actual expected outcome on Sam is 46, UGA 46, Missouri 14. To me, that feels about right. I think that we might, if I was going to tweak that at all, I might actually say that they would score less because I think UGA's defense now has something to prove. So I feel the same way. That is a good transition into our prediction. So what are you thinking? Based on everything we just said, what we know, Give me, paint me a word picture of how you think this game is going to go and what you think. Um, the spread currently is at 28 points, uh, with Georgia, of course, in the lead on that spread. Uh, coming in on top, I do believe that's going to be the case. I think we beat the spread. I also think that just looking sort of at the outlook on this uh, on Game on Paper, if you want to go check out gameonpaper.com, go to the week check out the Georgia Mizzou matchup. You can kind of see there are a lot of, there's a lot of greed on this. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of good matchups for this game. However, that is just based on sort of mostly this season at this point, four games in and Mizzou's had a, a, a pretty slow season. And so I really don't, foresee this going the way that these stats most likely will say like for instance i'm looking at uh just sort of when rushing both these teams do pretty well rushing you know we know georgia mizzou's well above average at least by these stat standards they're really great against the run against the pass uh by these standards however 
that really falls apart when Mizzou has to play from behind. And I think they're going to get behind by the second quarter. And if they're just going to keep running the ball, they're not going to go anywhere. I mean, Georgia's not giving up running yards to teams this season, just like they did last season. And so I tend to agree that when you said Sam only predicted uh, Mizzou having 14 points this game, they would most likely score less. I agree with that. I think they're probably only maybe only get to score 10, maybe six or nine. Um, I'm not as familiar with their special teams as I am just sort of, you know, the, the what the stats are telling us right here. But I think that overall, at the end of the day, I, I'm seeing UGA 45, Mizzou 6 is how I feel about it. Um, what do you think? Tell me, tell me some of your thoughts. A couple of things. One, I agree. I don't think they're going to they're, – they're not going to score that much. They scored, you know – 52 against Louisiana Tech, which is a, a bad team, but they only scored 12 against yep. Kansas State. They're only 34 against Abilene Christian, which is actually pretty bad. Only 14 <laughs> against uh, Auburn. So yeah. I I have agreed with and subscribed to the view that there's no reason to worry about anything going on with UGA. If this mm-hmm. team scores more than like 14 points against UGA, there is something to worry about because even though Missouri defends the run well, they are way worse against, well, not way, but significantly worse against the pass this year. And that is what UGA wants to do, right? Against the pass, mm-hmm. they are 36th in total EPA, 32nd in EPA per play, 32nd in EPA per game, and 21st in success rate. So that's not too horrible, right? But they're in the 20s on most EPA stats against the run. And I think that UGA can, even with a defense like that that is in the top 30s per EPA stats, but not per Sam, I think that UGA yeah. can like pick that defense apart bit by bit. And I think if and when Georgia gets up by, like you said, 14 to 17 points, the game might get out of hand because at this point, their quarterback, Brady Cook, has already shown that he will throw a pick. He currently has yeah. point negative 0.37 EPA per play, right? Uh, his adjusted completion percentage, which, it, well, it's not adjusted for drops, but adjusted for garbage time is 54%. He's only th- thrown for 497 yards on the year. Man, That's really not that great against uh, across four games, right? Just by, just by way of comparison, at this point, Stetson Bennett has positive 0.38 EPA per play, 73% per- completed completion percentage and 1224 yards right he has five touchdowns and one interception on the year so that's all a long way of saying that i think that this game sets up well for georgia to get ahead at some point in the first or second quarter and then create a series of compounding offensive mistakes on mizzou's part when they are forced to pass more which lead to a game that is basically a blowout I think Mizzou yeah. has a decent chance of getting a touchdown in this game just they can just because they can run the ball. And sometimes UGA has been a little wonky with run fits, especially between the guard and the center. But I am going to call this one sort of a return to form. And I'm actually going to say 52 to 10. Okay. 52 to 10. I think that this is a team... You know, when UGA plays bad teams sometimes, which this team is... If not bad, then at least below average. When UGA plays bad teams, sometimes it gets up and then it starts running the ball. And Mm -hmm. I still think we'll see that at some point in this game. But the incentives of the way Mizzou plays is that you basically should pass on them. And so I think that we are going to see Stetson throw the ball. I think that at this point, there is no doubt that UGA's offense runs through the passing game, right? Even mm. even it's rushing, even it's even it's running game runs through the passing game. Sometimes with Brock Bowers, right? So, oh yeah, I, I think that this is going to be a game where UGA passes to open up the run, puts the game away comfortably, and then sort of steps on their throat. If this ends up being a game that's like forty five seventeen or forty five fourteen, I won't be freaked out about it. But if this team, this Missouri team, which has a bad offense, scores more than like. 14 seven points i'm going to be concerned now i'm not concerned yet because yeah. a lot of those turnovers were just things that you're probably not going to see happen very often but i'm still i'm still a little i'm not concerned i would say i am watchful right 
Is there? Any- I like it. I'm, I'm ready for it. Before we get into the stuff around the league, is there anything that you are interested in seeing about this game? Anything you would like to see, ideally? Anything that you are looking for and from Georgia? Uh, let's see. I know that games like last weekend can sort of shake up some players, especially younger players. And so I would like to see, you know, our, our friend Lad, our boy Lad, come back and have a confident afternoon. And so that, that would be really good. You know, I would, the thing I wouldn't want to see is him to come out and still not be shaky because he's a bad player, but be shaky because he may have sort of some nerves based on last week's performance, you know? Um, and so that's one of the things I'm definitely looking forward to because we really don't have the, I guess, capacity right now to lose any more weapons, especially in that position. What about you? Yeah, I would say that that is a big deal. Lads, just self-confidence is a big deal. But I, I also think that it it will be interesting to see to what extent we try to run inside versus out behind tight ends versus outside of tackles. Mm-hmm. Even just a, a very facile level of analysis by, by me, who is not good at schematics, will tell you that UJ's tight ends have been integral to their run game so far. If you want to know why that is, just go look up clips of Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers putting people six feet under. It's already happened several mm-hmm. times this year. I think that Todd Munkin knows that these dudes can block and and that they are willing blockers. And to this point this year, our guard play has been, we'll say, unsettled. It's no secret that probably yeah. Tate Ratledge has not looked as good as we thought he would coming off the injury, and he's probably working his way back into form. So I'm I'm interested to see how what we do with the run game. I suspect, obviously, based mm-hmm. on my prediction. Oh man, I'm still 52 feels high. I might I might pull that back down. That does feel really big. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot your shot, Nathan. Say hold on. I, I'm I'm sorry. Shoot your shot. I'm gonna say 48. I'm gonna bring it down. Okay. 50 just seems like a lot. Anyway, but. I'm sorry. I was just looking at my prediction and being like, "Oh my god, that's that can't be right." Anyway, and that's going to be the 52 to 10 <laughs> is going to be the exact score now, as we both know. Now that that's I've exact, backed yep, off of it, exactly. So anyway, because he's going to be wearing his good pants and everything. Yeah, yeah, I will be wearing my good pants. So one of the things I'm a little concerned, not concerned, but one of the things I'm interested to see is how this run game continues to evolve. We've been running more counter this year. We still run some zone. The stuff that has been designed to go inside so far has not looked great. It has looked pretty good when we've gotten guys running across the formation, especially running tight ends. I don't know how much we've done split zone, but I know we have brought the we have brought the tight end across the formation a couple of times, and it's looked really good. So, I'm I'm just interested to see how this run game evolves because even though it is self evident at this point, four games into the season, that the offense runs through Stetson Bennett, I still think that any Kirby Smart coach team, and really any team that has aspirations to win a national title. At some point this year, UGA is need, is going to need to salt a game that is relatively close away by running clock. Now, where those running, how the running offense evolves, and how the schematics of that offense evolve in terms of inside, outside, what, where are we targeting in terms of who we're running behind, how the guard play evolves, and then on top of that, how the Dejon Edwards versus Kendall Milton thing sort of evolves. Those I think are all very important elements going forward so i think even against a team that uj should beat i'm interested to see how that works because i think at this point we know brock bowers is just going to score on everybody he's proven it at the highest level Mm -hmm. so (laughs) my question is really about the stuff at the margins i think it looks like that you have some stuff here from stuff around the league oh yeah it's a it's a big weekend you know we we as fans have earned this upcoming weekend because let me just run down some of these games real quick because we've been suffering through the last four weeks of just pretty okay football. There's been a lot of chaos. It's been great. There really hasn't been a lot of stakes for the most part, but this weekend is really when things start to shake up. You know, if you just start at the top of the schedule this weekend, you've got some really big games. You've got number seven, Kentucky, and number 14, Ole Miss. You've got, you know, Oklahoma's kind of eh, but number 18, Oklahoma against TCU, still unranked. Um, if you just kind of keep moving down, you've got number two, Alabama with number 20, Arkansas, number nine, Oklahoma state, number 16, Baylor. There's a lot of really big matchups this weekend. That is very exciting. And my, my dark horse favorite, actually, in fact, 
whether or not the dark horse will make it to the end of the season unscathed is yet to be decided. And this weekend will make or break them is number 10 NC State against number five Clemson, um, which my fingers are still crossed. But which which of these games do you are you most excited about? You feel just from kind of looking down um, this mess of a scoreboard. I think NC State Clemson is very interesting because. The line, I believe, is currently NC State minus seven, and Sam Uh has it at Clemson plus 15. I'm not sure what Ross thinks about that yet. I haven't looked at the gambling thread on our Discord, which you can find by going to patreon.com forward slash chapelbucker. But that one does sort of... Nice plug. That's that's why they call me the point guard, man. (laughs) Um... (laughs) But, so looking on our degenerate gambling thread, it does appear that Ross likes Clemson minus six. I would say one game that I'm very interested in is Clemson versus NC State. Currently, Clemson is favored by six and a half points there at home against NC State. However, our CBCR2 SAM numbers have this as a Clemson win by 15 points. So, A, yes, this will make or break your Dark Horse Darlings the NC State Wolfpack, mm-hmm. which is, by the way, a very good collective mascot name. I love a collective mascot. It really is. Yeah, the Trailblazers, very good. Anyway, so this, I think, will make it, make or break them because not only by by NC State standards, but I also think this is the first real test of, is do is DJ Uelangale good enough to be a competent starting quarterback at Clemson? I think we've already proven that he's not the next Trevor Lawrence, but this NC State team plays solid fundamental defense, pretty much like that's their been their calling card, and they have a pretty good quarterback. So I just am interested to see where these two teams are at. Clemson is coming off a relatively big win last week against Wake Forest, and I'm, I want to see if they can repeat, but mainly because while it is clear that Clemson is probably not a national title contender this year, I think that the sport is better when there are more top-level programs. So instead of three, yes. if we could have four or even five, like I would love if Miami was back. They just lost to Middle Tennessee State. They're clearly not back. But I would love if Miami yeah. or Texas or whoever, Texas A&M, got up here with the big boys and we started having a little bit more drama, a little bit more internecine conflict at the top of the sport, right? So I would like Clemson to be good again. Even though I am not mm-hmm. a Davos Swinney fan, it is fun to beat him, and we are not going to be able to play him unless he gets better. That's all we want. We just want to beat Dabo. Yeah. Which I found out this weekend that I never wanted to know, nor did I care, why his name is Dabo. Apparently the origin story is because his baby brother called him Dabo, which stood for, like, Dab Boy. And I was like, that's cute. I still hate him. Like, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> so can I... I still hate that guy. Oops. Can I give you, like, a... Like a, I guess probably slightly inappropriate impression that I have of Dabo Swinney. Yep. And it's not, this is not like full on Nathan insanity. This is, this is a pretty lukewarm take from me. So everybody just calm down. But I, I really get the impression, or I guess I am reminded of every time Clemson loses a game and Dabo goes up there in front of the press conference, I am reminded of a, southern preacher who is having to admit that he had an affair because it just came out in his small town (laughs) i feel like he's about to say that he strayed and he's just gonna work on himself and get back right with jesus or whatever and look oh yeah again i would i would just just as as a brief reminder like i was raised in church my father's a methodist minister i still go to church i feel very qualified to make this this comparison just for the record (laughs) I do have straight white guy powers before you come at me in the mentions with your Twitter egg handles. All right. Anyway, but I just, every time Dabo loses a game, I just feel like he's like, well, we all saw what happened on Facebook with Charlene the other day. And I guess I'm going to have to talk about this (laughs) before we get into the sermon today. And, you know, every time, every every person in their walk with Jesus has a moment where you don't see your footprints out there on the sand and, and I've strayed, and that's we all falter. We we all falter. We all stray in our journey, and I'm just trying to get right with the Lord and be brought back in line and get back on that path. I guess you could say to 
to reference a song that my daughter likes that I'm letting Jesus take the wheel. So, you know, you can, if you, if you want to, if you want to pray on it with me after church, you can find me and Charlene and Braylon and Bobby Lynn and Bobby Joe at down at the fellowship hall at 1230 today. Oh, hell yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what we're talking I about. Say... I just, I just like passed out. What, what What's happening? <laughs> Who am I? What's going on? Yeah. No, uh, the NC State Clemson game. I hope it's a great game. Um, <laughs> this is a college football podcast. I think that's about it. I mean, there's, there's plenty of – this is a college football podcast. Um, I think, you know, the, I, I think the games that will have, like, the most sort of, uh, you know, prediction or, or the, the least – the most stake on our future schedule would be probably this Kentucky Ole Miss game, which is already a game just decided by a point. So uh, I'm sure we'll probably be watching that most likely but yeah i think that's all we got yeah that's about it do you would you like to you take us, see out? us out oh oh it's my turn i don't know man you go for it you're better at it all right i, <laughs> I feel like i've seen us out I, I feel like i have the patter down on seeing us out this has been chapel bell curve if you like what you heard here today mm-hmm. we'd love if you rated us wherever you listen to this podcast whether that be itunes google play stitcher i don't know if we're on there but whatever soundcloud i Definitely think Probably. we're not on there. Uh, if you find us, I don't think we're on SoundCloud. If you find us on the Voyager Two Golden Record that's floating through space currently, that was launched in 1978, I believe. Then yes, give us a rating. Mm-hmm. Just scratch it in your impenetrable alien hieroglyphs. We would, wiki, wiki, baby. yeah, we would love to hear that. Even if you want to yell at me about how I've betrayed the church now, you can also get in get in <laughs> touch with us with your prayers, homilies, and passive aggressive videos about our, my walk with Jesus at Chapel Bell Curve on Facebook, <laughs> Instagram, and Twitter. You can also email us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. But much, much like your minister, I will not answer on time. I will not read it. I will probably make my secretary read it, and she is underpaid, and she doesn't care about you. So just <laughs> let me just take that in your walk with Jesus. Consider that in your prayer time. If you loved what you go heard here then. today, yeah, go on them. Pray on it. If Tell them. If you loved what you heard heard, heard, heard here today, uh-huh. we would love it if you joined us on our Patreon at Chapel Bell Chap- Come on. Jesus Christ. We would love it. <laughs> Sorry, it's okay. I'm not cutting this out. You got me in the church mindset. Yeah, we would love it if you joined us at our Come Patreon on. at patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. We will catch you in Como or the Classic City or Parts Unknown. And if you find me in Justin next weekend, I will be genuinely impressed. But until then, go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>